Hey, hey, it's Friday evening. You know what that means. We are back here at Disability Law Show. Good to have you along. Savan Tamarkin, of course, co-founding partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP. Always in attendance. Albert Klein joining him as well. we got lots to cover through on the show over the next half hour, guys. A bunch of emails and some topics for discussion. Want to remind you right away, if you want to uh, reach out to Savan or Albert or their team, you can do so. Always invited to make that phone call, one 821 5900 Email address we go to every show and every other time as well, help at disabilityrights.ca and a uh, further outreach for yourself to ask questions to Savannah and his team, mydisabilityquestions.com. That's free. That's anonymous. You can use that anytime you would like. We're going to get into a bunch of stuff uh, today, uh, but Savannah, you always start off with the case of the day, pal. What do you got? John, I want to start off with an interesting call that we got earlier this week, and I have to be very careful here because I don't want to identify this individual uh, or certainly the law firm, not us, but another law firm that was involved. So this involves a car accident that happened in early 2020, just before COVID hit. It was a very significant car accident. And uh, this individual suffered fractures to uh, his vertebrae. It had, he, has, he had massive head trauma, uh, had multiple surgeries, vision problems, uh, had been seeing numerous concussion specialists, had damage to his lower back. I can go on and on and on. It's a, it was a very significant accident. It was a hit and run, but the driver was later found. Um, now, this individual had contacted another law firm, and this law firm had been representing him with respect to both the accident benefits portion of his claim, I'll go into this in a second, as well as the tort portion. Hmm. So accident benefits, just so you know, for new listeners out there, if you don't know what that is, if you're involved in a car accident, in Ontario, we have what's called uh, no-fault accident benefits, which means that your insurance company or the insurance company in the car you're in or whoever hits you, some insurance company is going to have to pay you certain benefits. For example, income replacement benefits, up to $400 per week, sometimes even more, depending on the coverage uh, that you have. Uh, there's other kinds of benefits, a whole slew of them, and we can talk about that as well. The point is this person was receiving those benefits, and these benefits you received uh, you received if you're injured in a car accident in Ontario, irrespective of whether it is your fault or not. Mm. Okay, very important. The other side of the claim, in a case like this, would be much larger, potentially, and it's called a tort claim. And that means that it's a legal claim against whoever was at fault. In this case, it was the hit-and-run driver that was found subsequently. Um, so the person that was at fault for the accident, that person's insurance company is going to have to come to the table and actually pay a lot of money to compensate this injured person for uh, his pain and suffering, for potential income losses into the future. If this person can't work or has difficulty working, maybe pay compensation to his family members who now have to take care of him. And of course, the family members now have an injured person in their family. Uh, that's a different person because he's injured, and so they're entitled to a compensation for pain and suffering for that. So there's a whole bunch of compensation categories that this individual and his family are entitled to. Okay, so that's fast track now. Why did he contact us? Well, because he had right. hired a law firm, a fairly prominent law firm that I actually know fairly well, to help him. The That law firm was engaged in negotiations with the insurance company of the driver that was at fault for the accident. Now, get this. Apparently, apparently, there were settlement negotiations going on. And the insurance company on the other side had made an offer close to a million bucks. 
Again, not going to go into the details here, but close to a million bucks. Whether that's enough or not is a different story. It appears that the lawyer representing this injured person thought that it wasn't enough money, and maybe he's right. But that's not the issue. The issue is this. The reason why this individual contacted us is because he became extremely angry when he found out that his lawyer did not actually relate to him the offer from the insurance company. You understand, John? Wow. The insurance company put money on the table, significant money, almost a million bucks. And apparently that lawyer, according to this person who called us, did not actually relay that offer to him. Why? That is a massive, well, why? Because this lawyer, I guess, first of all, I don't know why. I'm just, you know, thinking out loud here. Maybe this lawyer thought, well, you know what? No point going to my client, telling them about the software. I can negotiate more, et cetera, et cetera. That's not how these things are done. And this brings me back to something that you and I, John, have talked many, many times before, and Albert knows us well. In fact, every lawyer on our team knows us very well. Communication is the number one priority here when we're dealing with our clients. This is not our case. This is our client's case. When we represent someone, it is our goal to get the best resolution we can, whether it's through settlement or some other means. So we do everything we can. We push hard. We fight hard, tooth and nail. We do everything we can to, to protect our clients and get them as much compensation as allowable by law. But every step of the way, we update them. And it, this is critical here. The clients are in the driver's seat. I always say that we as lawyers are the GPS. We'll tell them how to get there. But the client is the one who's driving the vehicle. They're the one on the steering wheel. It's their case. It's their life. So to me, this comes back to a very fundamental issue, which is communication. And many lawyers, unfortunately, not just personal injury lawyers or disability lawyers, but also family lawyers, real estate lawyers, criminal lawyers, lack this fundamental understanding that communication is the number one thing that clients look for. Yes, they want a good lawyer, 100%. They want to get the best deal they can, absolutely. But they also want a lawyer that communicates with them, that doesn't think that he or she are God, right? That the, the, the client doesn't want to feel like they have to chase the lawyer for everything. In this case, obviously, this really irked this individual, and he came to us now, and we're going to be hopefully helping him. I mean, it's my hope that we're going to help him. One of our partners has spoken with him, and you know, we're going to be trying to, to, to get this thing going back on track. And I think that there is good potential here to get him you know, potentially seven figures. But my point is this, the client is entitled to know what is going on, you know, with respect to their file. You can't just keep them in the dark. You can't, you can't. It, it, first of all, it runs against uh, the fundamentals of, of client-solicitor relationship. But number two, from an ethical standpoint, you cannot keep your client in the dark. It's their money. It's their offer. I mean, what would have happened, John, if in this case, the lawyer engage in these subsequent negotiations, and then the insurance company, for whatever reason, pulled the offer altogether, for whatever reason. Yeah. What would happen then? The client would have never known in the first place that there was an offer. And frankly, if the insurance company pulled that offer, and the client learned subsequently that they did not know about that offer, they weren't told about that offer, and they had an opportunity to accept, and they weren't presented with that, there is a potential claim against the lawyer for negligence here, for lack of communication. So. Again, for anyone out there, you have a lawyer, that's great. Make sure that lawyer communicates with you. Any lawyer that tells you, I will, I will communicate to you when I want to, or, or that you have to chase after them, and you, know, you leave them voicemails and, and send them emails, and you, know, you don't hear anything back from them for weeks and weeks and weeks, in my mind, that is a fundamental breakdown in that relationship. And to me, it says that that lawyer is just not good enough. They may be good as lawyers, but they're pretty crappy in terms of their client service. And this is a client service industry. 
Yeah, totally. So anyways, that's yeah. my rent here for today. I, to me, this was just a stark, stark reminder that in this case, this person who's severely injured probably is, is grasping for any information he can get is not told about a potential offer that is worth almost a million bucks. I, it's unthinkable to me. Guys, anytime you want to reach out, don't let it fester. I mean, you can get into some serious trouble when you don't have the knowledge. That's why uh, an open dialogue is always the uh, the first step with Savan and the team. one 821 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. Guys, we can move on to our uh, topic for the day, Savannah, or I can get into some emails because they're already starting to pile up. How, what do you want to, uh, which way do you want to go? Let's go. Let's get to the topic of the day. I think it's really important to uh, to go over some of this information before we get to the emails. Maybe Albert can chime in. I think uh, he definitely knows a lot about that topic we're going to speak about. Yeah, Albert. The uh, the topic, as you know, we're all looking at it: collateral benefits and income replacement <coughs> programs. Tell me about it. What do you think about that? Where does that? Uh, how do we get a get a view on all that? I mean, in personal injury cases, these are of utmost importance. And I mean, just conceptually, I think it's important to realize what the person that injures you, what their obligation is at law. And so generally speaking, what they are required to do when they injure you, they're required to put you back in the shoes that you would have been had you not been injured. And and generally speaking as well, you have an obligation to minimize the extent of your losses. So if you get injured, you can't just sit on your butt and do absolutely nothing expecting someone to pay you in fact, you have to do the opposite. So if there are things that you can do, if there are things at your disposal, if there's certain types of money or funds of money that you can access, you need to go and do that. And so generally speaking, when we speak about collateral benefits and income replacement programs, that's sort of what we're considering. And you want to try and maximize the amount of money you can bring in while you were off of work. So that if this ever did go to court, not that we think that it will, but if it did, you're on the good side of things and you're able to tell uh, the insurance company that you've done everything you can to try and minimize your loss. Mm-hmm. So some of these different funds of money that you can access, I mean, there's CPP disability, which is the Canadian Pension Plan Disability Fund. Uh, if anyone does give us a call, I'm always happy to sort of walk them through that application and uh, provide them with a link in the application form. Uh, Savan touched on it. We have accident benefits which are legislated benefits anytime you're in a car accident in Ontario, uh, you, your own insurance company is actually supposed to cover uh, cover income replacement benefits, which provides you a certain amount of money every single, every single week. There's also medical and rehabilitative expenses, which uh, can be covered. Some people have short and long-term disability. There's a number of other government programs, but generally speaking, Anytime you have access to something which can cover medical expenses, which can cover attendant care expenses, which can cover uh, the fact that you are not working, you need to try and access those to minimize your losses at law. And so th- these are these are very, very, very important uh, as well. Some of these uh, some of these different government funds that you'll end up applying for uh, or some of the legislated accident benefits, for example, there's actually difficult tests to get them. So just because you apply doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to access these. But in applying for these different benefits, often what they're going to do is they're going to help your case against the person that hit, that hit, hurt you. So right. for example, if you apply for CPP disability, you're going to have to prove that your disability or that your condition is both severe and prolonged. 
because that's the test at, uh, that's the test for Service Canada in order for you to get CPP disability benefits every single month. And so Albert, you end up applying. Sorry, I want to break in here. I know we got so much more to cover in this, but they're they're giving me the wave sign. We got to take a break, but stick with that. <laughs> stick with that comment. I know Savannah, you want to talk about this as well. Really important stuff: collateral benefits and income replacement programs. You need to know this stuff. But I'll give you a number quick as we uh, go and come back really quickly. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. All right, welcome back. Friday Disability Law Show. Good to have you here. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's email address we always use anytime and if you want to contact savan or albert you can use that you can also make that phone call of 1-855-821-5900 albert just before we uh we took a short break there collateral benefits and income replacement like cpp uh, std ltd all these things that people should know about continue on where you uh, where you left off pal yeah so i mean i mean before the break we were talking about uh effectively trying to minimize your losses so that you can prove that you've really done everything you can to minimize your losses. And there's a number of different other benefit programs that you can apply for either through the government or, uh, or through your insurance company, uh, either, either at work or through accident benefits. And it's important that you do that. I'm sort of glossing over these. I mean, really, I could speak of those, speak about all of these for an entire show. Um, and these these are types of funds and types of things that we interact with on a very da- daily basis. Uh, but I just want to sort of discuss them in a very, very sort of glossary way, just so that you've heard of it. And when you do hear about it again, you're not hearing about it for the first time. But generally speaking, as I was saying before, by applying to a lot of these external funds, by applying to these government funds, there's going to be certain standards that you have to meet. And just because you apply doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be approved. However, a lot of these different government funds, if you are approved, that actually helps prove your case. And I was talking about CPP disability, which is this government fund that you can apply for if you can prove that your condition is both severe and prolonged. And so just very, very quickly, when you do apply for CPP disability and you are approved, that actually helps prove your case because now it shows that you do have a severe and a prolonged disability. And you have doctors which are also supporting the fact that you have a severe and a prolonged disability. And so generally speaking, I mean, obviously it's not your job to know every different government fund that you can apply to. It's not your job to know everything, every, every type of fund that you should be accessing. These are the types of conversations that we have with our clients so that they can they can prove that they've really minimized their losses, right? And that's the standard at law. Savannah, anything to add? Nope, nope. I think you covered everything. Guys, with that, let's move on to our uh, first email of the show. This one coming down from Justin. Again, help at disabilityrights.ca. He says, hey, guys, I was in a bad car crash two and a half years ago. That was not my fault. I got a brain injury and a few uh, rib fractures. I've gotten better and even started working a few hours a week. My question is about my legal case. I hired a lawyer shortly after the accident and have just had uh, a tough time getting a hold of him or getting any information about my case from him. What do you guys suggest I do? What should I expect to happen with my case? Here we go again, right, Savan? Here we go again, exactly. And this is something we've talked about so many times. Justin, I understand your frustration here. I hear this all the time from individuals 
you know, we represent people across Ontario, BC and Alberta, and the problems that you're expressing are exactly the same. I mean, the fact that you were in that accident two and a half years ago, you suffered that brain injury, rib fractures, everything else, you're doing everything in your power. You're getting treatment, you're trying to get back to work, you're doing everything you can. Now, when you hire a lawyer, you hire that lawyer for the purpose of trying to get you the compensation you deserve. This is natural. It makes sense. You see ads everywhere for that. And the problem is that many lawyers out there think that it's okay not to communicate with their clients once they've been hired. You know, lawyers almost, you know, feel like I, I, you know, I'm doing everything I can for my clients. The client should leave me alone. Let me do my work. And, uh, you know, when there's something to report, I'll report. Well, that, it doesn't work like that. Clients like you, Justin, individuals like you, human beings, you are, you are asking for information. You need information. Perhaps, you know, you can't pay the bills. Perhaps there are issues at home with your family because of your injuries, because of the new reality that you guys are now facing. And you need to understand what is going on with your case. So you're asking, what can you do in a case like this when you have a lawyer that's very unresponsive? Here's what I tell people, John. I say, communicate to your lawyer. In, in you know, no uncertain language, by email, saying, I have tried to reach you on this occasion and this occasion and this occasion. I have not been able to reach you. Even your assistant is not getting back to me. I want to I wanna, I wanna book an appointment. I want to talk to you about my case. And here are the questions I have. I want to understand where we are in, in our case. What is coming up ahead? What do you foresee the the possibility of resolution is over the next let's say six months to a year if if at all i want to understand what is happening basically now if that lawyer doesn't respond to you within let's say a week i mean they should respond to you within the hour but let's say within a week i think that you need to send another email first of all call the office as well speak with the assistant of the lawyer explain your frustrations and then advise the lawyer again saying look i have tried repeatedly to get a hold of you if I don't hear back and we don't have that appointment schedule within the next X amount of weeks, I'm going to start looking for other representation. You need to document this, though. I'm not advising people. I'm not telling people to just willy-nilly switch lawyers and law firms because there is a cost involved there. Oftentimes, you know, the lawyer you're leaving is going to potentially give you a bill. Uh, you know, there's going to be some uh, uncomfortable discussions happening. Maybe that's going to wake up that lawyer. That lawyer is going to come back to you and start promising you everything under the sun. Oh, we're going to call you every week with updates, et cetera. Whatever. That's great. My point is this. You are the client. It's your case. If your lawyer, lawyer does not respond to you, doesn't respond to you know, the request that you are making for updates and you have concerns that are not being addressed, you need to communicate in writing to your lawyer your concerns. And you need to give your lawyer a certain deadline by which those concerns must be rectified or you will look for other representation. And unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for us, but unfortunately for other lawyers, they haven't heeded that. And so we have individuals who have switched to our firm because they understand that when they come to us, they will get that communication. They won't just get great lawyers. They won't just get a great result for their case, but they'll get lawyers who understand that it's just, you know, very simple that you give a client by calling them back. And by the way, if I'm in court or am I away for whatever reason, I can guarantee you that my assistant is going to get back to this person within a matter of minutes, maybe hours at most. But the individual is going to get someone calling them back. They're not simply going to tell them uh, or, or, or just not respond, which is, again, something we see over and over and over. Again, Albert knows this. And we, 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 this is a policy of the firm.
And by the way, we've, we've fired lawyers in the past for these kinds of issues when we haven't been able to rectify them because it's simply intolerable. It's intolerable for lawyers to ignore their clients. Guys, anytime, one 821 5900 Talk about not getting ignored. The exact opposite will happen uh, with that number. Help at uh, disabilityrights.ca. We can move on to Dana's email, guys. It's up to you. we still got a couple minutes to go. You know, we have so many emails. Let's get to Dana and Albert. Maybe you can answer that one. It's an interesting question as well. Cool. Dana's... Uh, Cool. She's right here. It says, I fell outside of work five months ago on black ice and injured my left knee. 52 years old and work as administrative assistant. I now had a knee replacement on that injured knee and still have a lot of issues going into the office. I contacted my disability insurer through work and they said uh, that I should apply for WSIB. But this happened after hours when I came back to the office to pick up a personal item. Is that still a WSIB matter? I wasn't working at the time. Well, Dana, uh, I'm very sorry to hear about your fall and, and your injuries. I, uh, I guess to answer your question immediately, doesn't look like a WSIB matter. I mean, there's a number of issues at play, and they all have a very sort of interesting interplay. My recommendation to you would be to speak to a lawyer right away. If you do give me a call, I'm more than happy, happy to speak to you for free. And frankly, that's what we do with any potential client. Uh, we're always happy to have free consultations and just give you some insight into your case. And then you make the decision that ultimately makes sense for you. Uh, but what I can what I can tell you is that it sounds like you have a potential case against the owner of the property, any property management company or potentially any winter maintenance company for the fact that they didn't actually maintain this this black ice. Generally speaking, it doesn't sound like you have a WSIB claim. However, many long-term disability policies where you, whether you have a WSIB claim or not actually mandate that you do apply. So when I say that there's lots of sort of things at play here, there are lots of things at play because you have a potential WSIB claim, you have a potential long-term disability claim, you also have a potential personal injury claim. Needless to say, it's a pretty complicated issue with a number of different considerations. You're going to want to speak to a lawyer immediately uh, sometimes, there, sometimes there are uh, different notice requirements in terms of how, how quickly you actually have to notify uh, the owner of the premises or who is maintaining the premises. So just lots of things at play. Anything to add here, Savan? No, no, I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. And I think that this whole area is very convoluted. So uh, if anyone out there has any questions about that, you've mm-hmm. suffered a slip and fall and need to understand your rights, give us a call. It costs nothing to speak to any of our lawyers. And with that, we are done for another evening. Enjoy your weekend, and the show returns on the weekend as well. If you want uh, more knowledge and to reach out anytime, you could do that now. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And for further questions, you can ask anytime anonymously to mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.